Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's for the honour I was born and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our talk with Jamie Wadley and we're moving away from his experience on boards and we're going to talk a little bit more about communication but also about business etiquette and business manners. It's a really good segue into another topic that I wanted to see if we could cover. You mentioned about email being a blunt instrument and you've talked about responsibility and accountability. What it triggers in my mind is a topic that I've heard you talk about in the past, manners and responsibility and business etiquette. Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the question? That if each of us individually think about interactions we've had with businesses, there's a degree of lack of responsibility in terms of the business and its responsibility and certainly a lack of manners mm-hmm. and, and just basic manners, things that we were taught when we were growing up mm-hmm. were the, the basic things that you had to do. Please, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, yeah, I think in some circles it even comes across as being a little old-fashioned. But in my opinion, it, it's more important today because mm-hmm. of the way we remotely communicate with yeah. each other than it was even face-to-face. Now, I'm a great believer in what I refer to and have been taught by uh, by many others of the referability habits in marketing and sales where you tell people what you're going to do, you do what you said you were going to do, yeah. and you say please and thank you. And if you meet that simple criteria, the chances are you're going to do a lot better working with people with than trying to be something else. And, you know, manners is the easy way to, to make that sort of thing happen. And I think, too, that if you miss any of those sections, then you run the risk of a reaction. I'm going through a process at the moment. I've got new glasses and the nose pad fell off. The rest of the experience with this organisation was very good. They did say what they were going to do. They did what they were going to do and they thanked me afterwards. So I left it, I thought, as often we do, is that it must have been my fault because it was just a little thing. The nose pad came off the glasses, so that must have been something I did. But I was disappointed because they were only less than a month old and disappointed because the glasses these days are not an inexpensive item Mm. and I thought that it should have lasted longer. But I hesitated about complaining or about saying anything about it because I still kept thinking it must have been my fault, there must be some other solution. And as good as the organisation was to deal with, I wasn't comfortable about what the process might be if I put in a complaint in essence. And so we see lots of websites, lots of organisations that say, if you're not happy, let us know, you know, there's no question about returns, all those sorts of things. But does that get the message out to people that to make them confident enough to make the complaint? I did. Mm. And I got an almost instant response given that they're a long way away and there's a time Mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. I was very impressed with the response time. Interaction happened. Part of the first interaction really I felt blamed me, not mm-hmm. for what had happened, but that I hadn't got in touch with them sooner. I took some offence at that, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I'm telling you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, really doesn't matter how much time yeah. it took. And the resolution of it was that they would send out a, rep- a replacement part. They told me mm-hmm. why it might have happened, and it obviously wasn't my fault in terms of the explanation they gave. And then they said that they would send out the repair part. Nearly two weeks went past and the repair piece hadn't arrived, and the nose pad fell out again. I'd had glued it in in the meantime. So I wrote and said, look, I just want to know if it's been sent because it's fallen out again. And I got a very curt response saying, it was sent on the 30th of January. We'll send another one tomorrow. 
And I thought, oh, that's disappointing. And so mm. my overall reaction now is where this was a place mm. that I would have recommended mm-hmm. two months ago, it's not. I would still recommend it, but no, I won't recommend it as highly. So just as an example of how you can, in the process, think that you're getting it all right because you've got all the stages in place, yes. if you're not actually thinking about it from the customer point of yes. view, then you've, you've lost. If you, if you continually focus on what your organisational process is, you're not getting it right for the customer. And it's, it's something that I've talked about previously, about going into banks particularly and them telling you what their process is. You don't care. You want done what you've got to get done. And, and I have to say I had that at the bank yesterday where there was an issue about doing a deposit because I didn't have the right reference number or what the person was seeing on the screen wasn't what I was telling her. And it was like it was my fault that I didn't know what was on the screen. And in the end I said, I don't know what your process is. All I want to do is get make this fixed. deposit. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is valid they go for efficiencies, organisations, in both those examples, having a process in place and people following a process, even a scripting about how polite and how to answer. What's missing is listening and thinking for themselves and thinking about not the whole process, but right now. You came here and you asked me a question about the product piece that was sent to you, wasn't sent to you. That's when I'm supposed to make sure that I heard what your concern is, what you're saying and what you're not saying Mm -hmm. by asking questions and then exceeding your expectation in solving that part of the interaction, not what the script says. The same as the example at the bank. It's sort of normally you would need this, but that's fine. You're here now. Let's see what what Mm -hmm. other options are there. And I think sometimes we're not doing that anymore. I don't like it because it's sort of saying if you let people talk and interact, they might get it wrong. But I think the damage that's being caused is even bigger than that by not listening and thinking as a human being with with brands as they all are. That's true. And it's an interesting point, Kim, then. Mm. There's an old uh, showbiz adage that says that you're only as good as your last performance. Mm -hmm. There's similarities between that and how we are treated by a business or an organisation where the last contact you have with them by far carries the most weight of how you feel about that organisation. So when an organisation might be going through a problem with you and they start to get to the stage where they're tired of having to deal with this for you and they do get short or or their manners aren't what they should be, that leaves you with a taste in your mouth that that was how the whole experience was, mm. regardless of how good that experience initially was. Mm. So they're dropping the ball at the most crucial time of, of a transaction or of a, an experience with mm. a, a client. In the same token, it might not have been a great process leading up to uh, the final step, but if you provide the, the client with a really good experience at that point, it changes their whole yes. perspective on the experience. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just true. so, so powerful and you know, can be taken on board. It's like I've found a lot of people I've dealt with where there's been a problem and you know, we've had... You know, it's been a difficult situation where we've been able to turn that around and those people often become your your, your greatest fans by treating yes. them the right way towards the end. And mm. it's just a shame that that seems to be forgotten or ignored because people, being mm. people, they'll get to a point where they get tired of it. No, I don't want to see this again, whatever it may yeah. be. But, but that's the point where uh, you separate the pro from those who aren't quite so good. Mm. It's true. I know you're really busy, but do you still have time, Jamie? I want to go back, if we can to the journal. Yes. Can we? 
Certainly. Oh, good. Excellent. Now, I really like that idea, and I always thought of journals as it's more like a diary. The way you use it, however, is much more powerful than that. And the bit that I like is that you're documenting and you're revisiting it. I think we're all not bad at saying, what I haven't I done? And look, there's this, and this has got to be carried forward, and then this has to be reprioritised, and I haven't done, I haven't done. How does it help you seeing what you have done? Well, I must admit, I, one of my great flaws, and there are many, is that I tend to, uh, or I used to, much more than now, I used to look at uh, the gap. There's a gentleman, Dan mm-hmm. Sullivan, who I listen to quite a bit, and mm-hmm. he talks about how people focus on the gap, mm-hmm. and that gap is they focus on things that haven't been done mm-hmm. rather than things that they have been done. By journaling and, and not focusing on what I think I could have got done in the day, but focusing on, focusing on what I have done, I can sort of look back over my shoulder and say, wow, I've really come a long way today. I've got a lot of things done today. And those small successes, because Mm -hmm. they're identified in my head, because I've identified them in my mind and written them down, actually brought them back out to the physical, I feel much better about what I've managed to get done in the day. Whereas before I started journaling, I could be busy all day and maybe get a lot of important things done, but I'd sit there at the end of the day and think, well, what have I done? The things that would crop up, you know, it's the amygdala again rearing its ugly head and looking for the the saber-toothed tiger behind the bush. It will find the things that haven't happened or the things that you haven't done. And all of a sudden, as we spoke of just before about the last touch point being the the one that carries the most weight, we have a feeling that we've accomplished nothing during the day. Now, I try to do my journal at the end of the day as best I can. That doesn't always happen. But that becomes my last touch point with the day. Right. And if I document all these things, large and small, that I've managed to get done, uh, it makes me feel so much better about my day, <laughs> and I build on those successes day after day. And I've only been doing it, oh, I think, maybe two and a half, three months. Mm-hmm. But I look forward to writing things down. It helps get them out of my head, and I really feel as though it's starting to change the way I view what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis in, in really positive ways. It sounds a little bit cliche, and it, it is a diary for all intents and purposes. Yeah, but it's how you use it and how it helps you, and yeah. I think we all have to find that bit. I learned from you on that, and I passed that to others as well. But there was another angle, and I'm probably not wording it in your words, but what I also liked about what you did is that you looked at things that weren't on your list to do, but you did them because whatever reason. Yeah, that's true. And then when you went back to revisit them, you realised not only that was a great thing, but it led you some other path, which is you wouldn't have been there if you just followed this is what I've got to do, this is what I've done, aren't I good? Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think that in that example, you know, we, we do do things during our day that we didn't plan on doing, yeah. and they're equally as important as anything else. It's like saying, well, I didn't plan to put out that fire I can see over there, so I'll yes. just concentrate on doing the gardening here. But things yeah. have to be done, that's and they're true. important things. And, yeah. and by journaling them, um, yeah. yeah, they get recorded. They don't get lost. Yeah. I like to... Yeah. Pat myself on the back and say, well done, Jamie. And yeah. that just you now improves the, good. my whole outlook in that respect. Mm. And this is something you've helped me with in the past. Mm. I know someone else who's very sort of similar mindset to yours and technically definitely good, not challenged like me. They reckon they're going to do a spreadsheet to talk about, you know how with the project management where it says dependencies and all of that, going to see where something have led to other things. And I, I forget the 
technical, <laughs> what's the path it took and what that branch turned into a different tree and so on and so forth to show people that everything you do has a positive outcome yeah. and very rarely a negative one yeah. sort of thing. So yeah. I've got two questions on the journal so I can yeah. get a word in before she hits me again. <laughs> You're not I, supposed I will, to tell people I will like tell that. you that she was, she was hitting me because I was making a horrified face about the way she was talking about lists and people who work through lists because you all know that that's how I live. I live by my lists. So my questions about the journal. Firstly, when you've had a really horrible day, a really mm. negative day, how, how mm. do you not make the journaling negative? It's yeah. funny. With the journal, I, I was worried about the same sort of thing. How would I handle mm. a day that was less than stellar? I might start my journal and say, well, these are the things that didn't go quite according to plan. But just by writing it down, I, I somehow, whether it be subconsciously or not, I work through the day and I find that the day was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was. Mm. I got far more done than I thought I did. And once again, it boils down to the way our brain works, where we focus on the danger, on the immediate things that weren't working for us. You know, once again, yeah, we go back to you know, our primitive brain that's wired to make us survive, not thrive. And, and we focus on the wrong things. By journaling and by rolling it out, you will come across the, the gold nuggets that were in the day. And I find invariably these days that I used to have that I thought were dreadful and a waste and made me feel guilty for things I hadn't done, almost there's zero of them today. At the end of uh, each journal entry, I put in what sort of day I had. 90% of the time it is I've had a very good day. I've actually started to turn it into an acronym because I write it that often. I don't ever finish on a note of saying I've had a dreadful day. It just mm. does not happen at all. Mm. Now, I might just be wired in a particularly strange way, but I think if you start to let the journal help you, I think mm. you'll find yeah. that there's no bad day. A wise man once said, I knew it was a good day when I woke up this morning because I woke up this morning, and I think I'm yeah. in that yeah. particular yeah. group. Yeah starts to strain to attitudes which we'll talk to you about on another occasion because we mm. are running out of time the second question was about the, the process of journaling obviously you've said a number of times gets the thoughts out of your head and onto paper is it helping you make decisions yes i think it does there was an instance yesterday funnily enough where i was debating with myself it was about making decisions and by not making a decision we've already made a decision anyway <laughs> that's true I found that this decision I was procrastinating about, I tried to analyse it and break it down and find out why I was procrastinating about it. When it was all said and done, I decided to pull the trigger, I decided to do the things I was, I was holding off on. And at the end of the day, I found out the easiest way to deal with this particular decision problem I had was to just do it. Because the sweat and the labour that was required to do the things I wanted to do was a very cheap way to pay for the guilt and the regret I would have had otherwise. And I find you know, that that was one of my highlight points that I mm -hmm. took away from yesterday's journal is that when I've got a decision like that is just do it, get the guilt and get the regret completely out of the equation. And if it takes a little bit of extra time or it takes a little bit of effort or I have to learn something more, that's more than paid for by what it leaves me feeling at the end of the day. My journaling uh, was initiated by a guy I'm very, very fond of, uh, a guy called Jim Rohn, and if you haven't heard of Jim Rohn, I'd recommend you look him up. And he said, a, a life worth living is a life worth recording. Mm -hmm. And I think we've all got lives that are worth living, so mm. write it down. Yeah. Well, I like that, and I think actually that we might end on that, because it's a very good message for us to finish on. 
in all of the things that we've talked about. This will be the way you think about this podcast when the, the time is done. So we thank you for your time and your input and your thoughts that you've shared with us. I'm Kim Bailey. She's for Yana Osborne. We've been talking with Jamie Wadley and this is Inside Exec. Thank you.